has announced the creation of a new information operations technical training school. The first command simply must arm our airmen to outthink, outperform, outpartner, outinnovate any potential adversary. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. This is the Developing Mach 21 Airmen Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in to Developing Mach 21 Airmen and thanks for the subscribe stream or download however you might be listening in today. We certainly appreciate it if you get a chance to throw us some stars or even a review. We certainly also would appreciate that as well. We always welcome your feedback here on the pod. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force, big A airmen, insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education worlds. Episode number 20 of the pod, and it's a pretty good one, Major Lindsay Torres from the Special Warfare Training Wing, and she is their lead performance dietitian, sits down with us and talks all about how the wing is using a holistic approach to nutrition, education, and training that will ultimately help the readiness of the Air Force's future Special Warfare Airmen, enabling them to perform better across the lengths of their careers. For those of you that might not know, the Special Warfare Training Wing, which was stood up in the fall of 2018 at Joint Base San Antonio-Lackland, it's a pretty big enterprise. It spans 16 programs across 10 states. Major Torres goes in-depth on how nutrition should be thought of just like you would a fuel specialist in the terms of just like our aircraft need fuel to fly, our Special Warfare Airmen and Training need the right levels of nutrition to perform at optimum levels across the entire career field. Major Torres also speaks to how the nutrition plan has evolved over time at the wing as well as what it actually looks like in terms of the daily execution to include hydration so they can build those healthy habits that will stay with the trainees long after they leave the formal training pipeline. It's really interesting when she discusses the need to ensure the trainees learn how to make the default choices they have to make in the early weeks of training stand up as their performance choice and performance choices in quotes here out in the tactical operating environment when they most likely have to work a little bit harder to make those nutritional choices that are somewhat presented in front of them while they're in the first parts of training. So it's a lot of fun, Major Torres, very, very bona fide in her field, as she'll detail in the very opening, but she's had some interesting academic experiences, as well as an internship with the NFL's Houston Texans, talking about um, different ways of optimizing performance. So it's really awesome to see the level of professionalism and expertise that the Special Warfare Training Wing has uh, from Major Torres and her entire dietitian team. So let's get to it. Away we go with Fueling the Human Weapon System Through Nutrition. Episode number 20 of Developing Mach 21 Airmen starts right now. So Major Torres, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, I am um, Major Torres. I am currently serving as the Special Warfare Human Performance Operation Officer, and I'm also the lead performance dietitian for Special Warfare Training Week. 
I have been in the Air Force just going on 10 years, and I was previously a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force, so I ended up in the Air Force as well. I'm actually a registered dietitian for the Air Force, so I get questions a lot on how I got to be a dietitian or if the Air Force trained me. And so I was actually a direct accession to become a registered dietitian, but I did my dietetic internship at the United States Military Consortium on Dietetics. And then after that, I've kind of had a non-traditional career path. I've been overseas at Ramstein as a nutrition program manager, flight commander, downrange at Bagram. I did an AFIT fellowship. I've been a Baylor professor in the Army graduate program for nutrition. And then I was a flight commander at Wilford Hall. And then I, that led me into working with special warfare. And I'm also the lead military um, chair for the DOD Performance Nutrition Working Group. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. It's uh, not what you would normally hear uh, here on our podcast, but I, I saw in your notes too that you actually worked with the Houston Texans. Uh, what did you do with the NFL team? That's pretty I did. Cool. I have um, two master's degrees and each one is thesis generating. So one of my master's thesis was focused on cardiovascular biometrics in the Houston Texans football team and also looking at vitamin D. So often we just expect everybody's CDC guidelines to help with cardiovascular biometrics. So in football players, they get more than the prescribed 30 minutes a day, but we wanted to look at do athletes need more vitamin D and is there a cardiovascular risk associated if they have low vitamin D? Wow, that's really, really interesting. And we're going to talk more about nutrition. Um, but a lot of our listeners may not know, as Special Warfare Training Wing just stood up last year, but uh, can you give us maybe just a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of, of what the Special Warfare Training Wing looks like? So the Special Warfare Training Wing, before I go into what it looks like, it supports about 700 operators and support staff and about 1.5 thousand trainees. There are 16 programs across 10 states throughout 86 facilities. And then within the wing, there are two different groups. You have the Special Warfare Training Group, and then you have the Special Warfare Human Performance Support Group. And so the Human Performance Support Group is one of the first in the Air Force. It also has the Special Warfare Operational Medicine Squadron. So you have a squadron dedicated to look at medical kind of the typical clinical stuff we think about, but more in a field setting. And then the human performance squadron is the first squadron in the Air Force. And we look at a lot of the human performance modalities that will help optimize training and also change the way that we train operators in general, but also lethality and longevity as we move throughout their careers. And so I first met you this past fall at the uh, Air Force Association Convention in Washington, D.C., and I was just really fascinated with all of the things that the wing is doing from a human performance perspective uh, to, to better train and equip our special warfare airmen as they go through their initial training. Um, but where did this focus on treating special warfare airmen, and, and I'll use it in a general sense, like athletes, um, come from? What was the genesis and and where do you see it uh, evolving towards? So originally human performance started with the POTIF model in SOCOM about seven to eight years ago and then that is a contract model under preservation of the forces and then the human performance model within special warfare is some active duty and some GS civilian 
experts in human performance disciplines. And one of the ways that we started looking at, and I globally say we as human performance uh, professionals in DOD, but we looked at what does the pro teams do with football players, the NCAA. In 2014, they deregulated. They had a lot of restrictions on what you could give collegiate athletes. And so in the last four to five years, there's a lot of science and research that's come out on how to optimize different sports. And we all know some of the sports that make the most money are football. And so there's a lot of research that has come out and just kind of moving the career fields along in how to optimize and return players. And so we started with that model and also moving it more toward a holistic human weapon system. And so when we're downrange, we're not going to have a timeout or a sideline, which your sports beverage is already lined out there for you by your athletic trainer or your dietitian. And so we have to kind of look at that model to now make a military tactical model and make sure we train and equip them that meets the needs of where they're going to be. So it helps start the framework, but it, we don't want to train them with a smoothie and training and then ex them to expect the smoothie downrange when that's not a viable MRE option. Hey, you talked about that human weapon system. So you think of nutrition in, in a way that's kind of applicable to how you need to fuel an airplane. You got to do the same thing with, with our, our special warfare airmen. Exactly. So when we think about them as a human weapon system, when we think back more to an aircraft model, you have maintenance, you have fuel specialists. So I say that I'm a special warfare fuel specialist and that my job is to optimize the fuel that they put in their body under the different conditions to look at cognitive or physical conditions. And we think about that model where we don't just send an aircraft downrange or we don't just at the beginning provide maintenance on the aircraft and then expect the pilot to then be responsible for everything else. And so what we our traditional model has expected the pilot to be responsible for all the things the aircraft has done. And that just doesn't, isn't the best way to improve battlefield lethality and also provide the most longevity for our operators. Some of them will get hurt due to the conditions that they work and then they may not be able to serve longer or they get broken faster or we can't contribute them back to their families. And so looking a lot at also performance but longevity of them. Yeah. I also found it really interesting that you're looking at, you know, that fueling of those human weapon systems, not for you know, one or two specific events, but you're looking at this really from a holistic approach uh, across a wider spectrum than just one or two things. Yes, exactly. So when we think back to the sports model, a lot of sports, depending on how successful they are. So, for instance, the World Series, even then when the World Series is done, then the baseball team kind of gets a break. And a lot of our models, they don't necessarily get a break, especially in our pipelines. When you just look at training, some of them are two to two and a half years with no breaks. And so we want to make sure that we look and optimize that um, holistically. But a lot of times in our traditional sports model, we look at pre, during, and post-event, and we don't look more globally or kind of up and out on if we provide, for instance, in football or baseball, we want to make sure we diminish the short-term recovery. So we want to optimize recovery versus if we're trying to have them learn to chronically adapt, then maybe we wouldn't provide those acute strategies because over time we need to make them stronger over a longer period of time versus sports might just look at, you know, six week cycle versus I need them to be good for 20 years. And so looking more from a kind of a chronic long-term adaptation versus just, you know, year to year and pro athletes don't necessarily work for 20 years and we're having higher demands on a professional athlete and expecting a longer career out of them. 
So when the wing focuses on nutrition as an aspect of human performance, um, what are the things that that really means or, or what does that entail? I mean, that seems like there's a lot that goes into it. That's not just, you know, um, as simple as, oh, we're just going to put a bunch of broccoli in, in the defat. Right. And one of the big things with nutrition, and this is applies to everybody, is education doesn't change behavior or knowledge doesn't change behavior. Most people know we should eat broccoli or, you know, fruits and vegetables are healthy, but the average American is not consuming the amount of fruits and vegetables we would like them to consume. And so for our model, we really look at how do we change behavior first? And a lot of behavior strategy models look at the environment. And so if we teach them or I tell them I need you to do certain things and then I don't provide it in the environment, how would I expect them to execute it? So one of the easiest ways to get a cohort, or in my case, special warfare trainees or candidates, to do what I need them to do is to make sure the default environment is the only choice I want them to have. So one of the things we did up front is in the preparatory course, the first five and a half weeks, I lose them the most on the weekends. And so if you think about your typical training environment or initial military training, if we controlled Monday through Friday, all three meals, but then Saturday, Sunday, they could go eat, and I won't mention any brand names, but popular <laughs> fast food or their favorite here in San Antonio, they go to the Riverwalk and they have one of their favorite restaurants, then all those things we did for five days are just lost on the weekend or the typical cheat day becomes a whole cheat weekend and all the strategies we got Monday through Friday are now lost every single week. And so the weekends, they actually all three meals in our facility for five and a half weeks. So instead of this PowerPoint that tells them how beneficial it is to eat with performance food, foods in mind, is that that first weekend when they get base liberties around week five, week six, they then go back to their normal dietary eating patterns. And then they have gastrointestinal distress or some feedback mechanism physiologically that now reinforces this is why performance nutrition works. And usually what happens is that Monday back at training, when they have a, a past test or a performance event, they can compare it to the first five weeks and now they can see what that now does to their performance. And so the way I train, teach them is more like, I don't use the human weapon system to train them because they're not yet a human weapon system, but I use the high performance vehicle analogy. So most people know if you have a high performance vehicle, I try not to use brand name, but we're at like 600 horsepower. If I put regular low octane gas in, and what, what would happen? And most of the students will say, you would never do that. You would never put low octane fuel in a performance vehicle because you're not in optimizing performance. But they now start to see that when they're choosing to put low octane fuel in their vehicle, then they're choosing not to optimize performance. So up until we get them, they may have outperformed all their peers at basic military training or in the town they came from, but then when they get a cohort of very physically active, it's hard to get them to understand why they can no longer eat McDonald's when they're still outperforming a lot of their peers, because eventually our system's going to get them. And I like them to get that up front so then that we don't have to worry about them falling out later for nutrition issues. Yeah, and it, it's, it's really interesting. Like, so, you know, just in a general sense, you know, what, what is the what does the results look like on that first Monday after they've kind of had the freedom to choose? Do a lot of them kind of learn the lesson in essence they the hard do. way, which is sometimes the best way to learn, right? So some informal feedback I've received is we have a gender neutral facility. the The bathroom line is quite long on Saturday evenings. Uh, one thing I will note is I never teach them to compromise breakfast. So breakfast they always have to eat, and then dinner Sunday nights they have to eat as a team. But the bathroom is the biggest thing. 
But they joke when they come back, it's so successful on those tests on Monday that the cadre had asked that we shut down all of the weekends so then their scores would be better, um, which was it's a unique thing to see, but part of it is to also, if you operationalize it, sometimes you might come off a fob and you came off a mission and you finally get to eat, then you have to go right back out. So part of it is they need to understand what happens to them physiologically or their physiological limitations when they poorly fuel or in a deployment scenario or operational scenario when you might only get MREs, you didn't get a lot of fruits and vegetables, or you might have gotten a Burger King on a fob or a burger place, and now they have to go go perform on that. So part of it too, I do like them to understand their physiological limitations, but most of them are like, we love it. It's really exciting. But they now see directly see their performance is hindered by nutrition. And it's a harder to actually get that kind of return on investment in a scenario. Um, but prep is our perfect kind of lab in order to give them that upfront so they can make decisions as they go through. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, as you look at this from a holistic perspective, like you're sometimes having to undo probably a lot of really bad habits. And granted, you have that five week or so lockdown period, but how hard is that to to really do? I mean, is that a it? So is a nutrition a daily aspect in terms of like, is there lessons every day or is it, you know, just periodically and you're kind of leaving it to them to also make their own good decisions? Like, what does that look like in the training environment? So I get them week zero, about every week they have at least 30 minutes to an hour of nutrition. Where we're a little different at prep is your typical academic model is a knowledge base. You learn about a carbohydrate and you're tested on a carbohydrate. Now, whether or not you do what we would like you to do, that's not part of the test. But what we do at prep is they learn how to put food on their plate. And then I go to the dining facility with them and they get feedback. And so the way I modeled that is when they learn to talk on the radios for TACP, they're not teaching them how to actually put the radio together and how it works. They just teach them the ROEs of how to speak on a radio. So I did the same thing with nutrition. I was finding, uh, got really excited to teach them all the science week zero, and they just didn't know what they didn't know. And so now I just, this is what you do, and this is what you do. Like you need X amount of carbs on your plate. This is the type of food you put on your plate. And then around week three, they actually get the science of, and then they start to figure out, oh, this is why it works. But by then they kind of understand their limitations. Um, I do, we have people from low socioeconomic statuses. You might have people that have one meal a day or food was really restricted in their household. They're not allowed to not eat all their food. So the average toddler or adult, we need six to 10 exposures of a new food. So if they haven't eaten fruits and vegetables their whole life, then you bring up a good point. Then I actually work with those students more individually. And we talk about more of having a full tank of low octane fuel versus a half a tank of premium. Like we'll have to now work them over the next five to six weeks and we will train their gut. So their gut is very adaptable, but for them, we would do more. When I would grade their plate, we would talk about what would be the the easiest options on their stomach to move forward and they get more individualized. But we have that happen every class. So it's a really good point to think some people have fueled like an athlete. A lot of the students we get didn't play sports. They have a passion to serve their country and I like to be physically fit, but they don't necessarily have that sports framework. Yeah. So with nutrition, um, there's so much science um, that goes into it. How did you guys you know, really work through building what the special warfare training wings model for nutrition and how it impacts the human performance system looks like. 
So we have um, position statements that really drive, there's a lot of literature, uh, medical literature, peer-reviewed literature that looks at, like, we know how many carbohydrates you need, we know how your gut responds. Part of it, I actually realized, is going back to basics. So nutrition is unique in that everybody eats and everybody thinks nutrition is their hobby. So people will say, I'm on keto and keto works for me. And so I think my biggest thing that we've had to do is actually go more basic than I thought we would have to in order to start fresh so that when they get to their three level or their apprentice school houses with the dietitians we have there, then they could actually individualize it and be more aggressive. But if they haven't done performance fueling before they got to us, then we have to train their gut to do that. But I'm also detraining a lot of, of bad press. And part of that is they think, you know, Tom Brady's diet is more important. So I use a lot of reverse social social math in that I will use this is what the Olympic training committee uses and try to get them to understand this isn't necessarily just special warfare but the human body as a vehicle or weapon system or athletic but a lot of it is going all the way back to basics because they get their information from non-reputable sources and it's hard for a 17 to 18 year old to understand why why carbohydrates are really really beneficial when all they've ever heard is carbohydrates are bad from yeah. people they respect. And we've talked a lot about the the like the food aspect per, perhaps of nutrition, but I think the the hydration aspect of nutrition is probably also another really big factor I would guess in special warfare training. So hydration is one of the things I focus on more in the environment and it vertically. So kind of like nutrition's unconventional warfare. Um, the new students at the preparatory program actually have to pee in a cup every morning for eight weeks, and they actually get a urine-specific gravity reading every day for eight weeks. And so I don't necessarily need the data every day for eight weeks on whether they're hydrated or not, but that if you think about creating new behavior changes, three weeks, 21 to 21, eight days, if I get them to do a specific behavior for eight weeks, the system is going to provide feedback. So most of us have realized, oh, I didn't, I didn't sleep enough. That's why I'm dragging in this meeting, or I'm not performing. So all the things we've gotten over, you know, ten to twenty years, I'm trying to provide that vehicle in eight weeks. And so we do, they do hydration testing every day in prep, and then in the field we actually do hydration testing in a lot of our courses to provide also a risk mechanism for the operational medical squadron, but also the cadre. These are going to be your higher at risk. But part of it is hydration, usually in South Texas, is going to take them out before low performance fueling. And so they usually, because of all the testing, we have very little hydration issues. And a lot of our hydration issues might be those that didn't come through prep or they just had a bad day. They maybe were starting to feel sick and they were dehydrated or they vomited. And then that's why we lost them, not because they didn't know how to hydrate, which is a really beneficial thing because a lot of training programs just lose them because they're not hydrating at all. Versus in our programs, the average athlete can lose half a liter to 2.2 liters per hour. And if we're training them for six to eight hours a day, you're looking at several pounds. And you can get, it can get scary pretty quickly. But the students are very well versed in that. And so it gets exciting when they train those that haven't been through prep. They will start to train each other. So when you look at this from you have them in this environment here um, in San Antonio at the Special Warfare Training Wing, um, but is there or are there plans to to have like some kind of follow-on mechanisms? I know you kind of 
touched on dietitians further on down the pipeline, but what does that look like as students move up and out? So for San Antonio is our courses of initial entry in some of the specialty schools. And so we actually have two dietitians on the books here, and then we have three diet technicians. And so our diet technicians do a lot of the hydration testing in the field. And then at the schoolhouses, so we have a tech P schoolhouse that happens to be in San Antonio. And then we have our PJ schoolhouse in Kirtland. And then we have our combat control schoolhouse in Pope in special reconnaissance. And they each have their own dietitians. And so they actually get, a, get to get a little more advanced. So I focus it's basic in terms of hydration. They know whether they're hydrated or not, but as they move out to the schoolhouses, if they start to still have trouble, they might do sweat content testing to see how much sodium are you losing per hour, how much potassium are you losing per hour. If the student still struggles once they get out of the course of initial entry, then we can actually t individually tailor a lot of that as needed. So a large part portion of the population will respond to the, the, the initial things we do. Um, but they can also do sweat rate testing, so the volume, we can look at content, and then whether or not they're hydrated after about six to eight hours of sleep. So we have three modalities to test, and then as they go, get a little further out from um, the point of origin, then they can actually get more advanced individualized nutrition. And at the end of the day, we, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about statistics and not really necessarily having um, certain measures in place, but the, the nutrition aspect of, of human performance, it's pretty plain for you to see um, the value in it and, and what it's done for the training program as a whole. Yes, I look a lot of times at the feedback from the students and I heard a student recently, so we do a gradual tiered approach to nutrition. So I mentioned how nice it is to kind of restrict them up front, but we also, that's not a real world scenario. And so we start to take off the bumpers, you know, in Bolin or the training wheels. And then they get to another facility that has some of those fried options. And then they have to make those decisions. And so in one of our courses, I actually like that we use this dining facility because it looks very similar to dining facilities downrange. It has international options. It has weird flavors. It has fried foods. And so if they can't navigate that on their own, then I haven't set them up for success. And so I don't want to always provide, versus a sports model, we might only provide the performance option all the time. We don't have the luxury in the mission sets that they do to always provide them a performance option. And so I need them to learn to navigate what is the best of the options that they have. And so one of the students used to complain about how there's only healthy stuff at the prep facility. And then they started to miss it and they started to miss the team um, component because they all have to eat together. They have to sit together versus as they go, we treat them like adults. So if they don't want to eat breakfast, somebody's not holding their hand, that's a decision they made in the pipeline. It's an assessment technique as well, but we're not here to restrict them. We treat them very much like adults. And if they don't want to eat, they don't want to eat. But as they, they go out, then we kind of take the training rules off and assess how they're doing and then provide feedback as they need it. And really, as a dietitian, I'll, I'll give you a chance to put your general dietitian hat on, but really nutrition in general, not just for special warfare airmen, but it has broad applicability uh, to all airmen uh, in the military. If you're not eating right and you're not making the right healthy nutrition choices, it can have really bad impacts on you. It can. I think we undervalue. So often we look, I'm sure Google has you know, 
analytics on this, it's how many people want to get a supplement or a drink that helps with cognition. I know a lot of drinks are coming out. Oh, this helps with your brain. So does sleep. And so does drinking water and or proper nutrition. I think we've undervalued the basics of the human physiology. So just sleep, good nutrition, and adequate hydration are the biggest performance edges. And also, I'd argue, occupational edges. So whether you sit in a desk and your customer service at a retail store or you're behind you know ISR and you have a high value target I think we undervalue that for our specific facility that's for prep SW prep only it's not rocket science we have Greek yogurt we have avocados they don't get an omelet bar they don't get sodas they don't get a lot of these things that have kind of made their way into the infrastructure of military eating that somehow a corn dog is linked to to morale and a lot of the feedback I'll get from commanders is like if you take away the fried foods our members are going to be so upset and it should be why are we not providing performance options and performance options are just an extra vegetable on the line you set up the infrastructure once they get used to it and if we did it at initial military training we could actually change behavior 70% of the military and civilians are overweight or obese and we have large chunks of training in which we know behavior modeling, we can highly influence that and drive other things. And I think we could optimize that if we looked at it a little bit better or moved it a little bit. So while our dining facilities, I love it. Obviously I'm biased to building it. It's not, it's not just unique to them. Anybody could eat there. In fact, the army ate there a couple weeks ago and they loved it so much. They want to have them eat. They're like, they don't get any prepackaged bars, no prepackaged tarts. Like, which actually drives costs down and allows us to buy things like an avocado that we know is really good for cognition. It helps with satiation. It's a healthy fat. Just those little things. How many times have you been to a military dining facility and seen an avocado? Probably never. Probably <laughs> we have never. berries. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so a lot of these things we know are really good for cognition and performance are also good for just keeping your waistline down and just how you feel and longevity in life and also TRICARE dollars, right? We want to decrease defense costs by how much we pay out when people leave the military. So it's just kind of a 360 view to help everybody out. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out. This is just really interesting stuff and and we appreciate your perspective. Thank you for having me. Just a ton of great information there from Major Torres and just listening to her talk about the benefits of a solid diet makes you want to eat better so our special warfare airmen are in great hands in terms of nutrition if you're interested in more information about nutrition from a dod approved source major torres also told me that you can find a lot of great info at humanperformanceresourcecenter.org again that's humanperformanceresourcecenter.org all one word and a ton of great info there so a resource that she said she personally uses uh at work even. So a big thank you to Major Torres for taking time out of her schedule to sit down and talk with us about how the Special Warfare Training Wing is fueling the human weapon system through nutrition. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. And a reminder, you can also check out the AETC command team. They are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So check out the latest from General Webb and Chief Gudgel as they talk about 
what recruiting, training, and educating exceptional airmen looks like here in the First Command. Thanks for checking out the podcast as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education. For our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.